0: So if you have to cover manufacturing, analytical, and all the quality systems in one day, to do a thorough audit. There's no way you can do it with one person.
1: Welcome to CMC Live. This is the show where we discuss CMC regulations and guidances simplified through real-life experiences and risk-based advice. Each episode, we speak with subject matter experts, as well as other leading industry authorities, with your host, Ed Naki.
2: So welcome to CMC Live, everybody. Today's uh, guest is Bettina Kaplan. We're talking to her about quality assurance and more specifically, audits. Bettina lives in Boca, Florida, little known fact, and I have known her for a number of years. Boca Raton. I'm not from Florida. (laughs) <laughs> um, anyway, number of years she 's worked with us i 've known her prior to that through our network and um, so great senior quality assurance consultant here at dsi lesser known facts, three amazing children. I originally thought it was two, but I learned and she 's also a new York Mets fan and and the truth is we actually went to a Mets spring training game. I think it was March fifth right before the shutdown and uh, we we spent some time in the outfield talking about this actually. The podcast today you know we 're talking about some of the things in Current events out there. FDA has halted most in-person inspections during COVID-19 pandemic. Audits have, have stopped. Some are still being performed or some ultimately will be performed maybe in, in a different fashion. So we kind of wanted to talk about this in the sense that, you know, we're calling it maybe GMP audit alternatives during COVID-19 pandemic or any disruption, any any black swan event, requesting, preparing for, responding, you know, just, just the overall virtual audits and how that might change in the future. So Bettina is a seasoned pharmaceutical quality assurance and compliance professional, years of experience. I almost forgot now. um, Sandoz, Hoffman LaRoche, Purdue, Sharp Packaging, I think a number of things. And like I said, she's worked at DSI here for a number of years. Bettina, as Miranda was actually uh, kind of asking some fun facts, can you tell us how you got into QA and auditing?
0: I started out getting my degree in chemistry at Stevens, Institute of Technology, and actually went to Columbia Medical School to do some research. And I had been planning on going for my MD. And I decided that I didn't know if I could commit the time I wanted to to becoming an MD. And I started to apply to industry and started at sharing Plough as a QC chemist. And I worked in the analytical lab for three years and decided I wanted to do more. I wanted to learn more and started in QA. I worked at Shering for a couple of years in QA and moved to Stewart Pharmaceuticals where I was the manager of third-party suppliers and started to get into auditing. Um, I worked with a gentleman who had been at the Philadelphia FDA for a while and taught me a lot of things about auditing and about general FDA guides and and just industry in general. And from there, I, I started to move up in the quality arena. I moved up to back well, that was in Delaware, and I was getting married, so I had to move back up to New Jersey. <laughs> okay. And um, I went to a company that was a virtual company, one of the earlier virtual companies. It was um, OTC products and some foods. We had roughly 40 suppliers, and all of them had to be controlled, they had to be audited, they had to be managed. And systems had to be built. I was with that company for quite a while until they decided to sell the company to major pharmaceutical companies who bought the products and actually felt that for an OTC company, we had really great quality management systems. Um, after that, I had gone to QA and compliance at Roche, and that's where I got heavily into compliance. Roche had just come out of their self imposed consent decree. So my QA roles just kept increasing over the years as I took on new uh, roles, new companies. And I just got intrigued with all the different aspects of quality and how quality was changing. And just seeing how many sites didn't understand what quality was about. And you would go, you would. Do your audit, you would see how places needed help. They would actually, as an auditor, and you're coming to audit them, but they would actually ask you for help to understand what's really required. So, audit sometimes can be a two way street when you're auditing. But from there, I just kept going and I would uh, do quality. I moved up through the industry. My last industry position was a senior VP of quality. So,
2: okay, that's great. So a lot of folks know about quality assurance, but tell us a little bit more about audits, types of audits, et cetera, for those folks either new to this podcast or for those not intimately familiar that are in our industry.
0: So there's several types of audits. You have your supplier audits. It is required by FDA and by all the other regulatory bodies that we keep on top of our suppliers and that we audit them so what do suppliers mean you could have suppliers of apis suppliers of raw materials or excipients and you can have your cmos that actually manufacture package or test for you well in order to be on top of those suppliers and manage them adequately you need to go out and see what they're doing so In order to do that, you set up your supplier audits. In general, lately, the industry has been going with risk-based audits, just like FDA does their risk-based inspections. It's based on compliance. It's based on the um, compliance, meaning the compliance status of the site, so how they've performed in the past, the criticality of the material they're supplying, any issues that you may have seen, So you set up your schedule for audits and it's an audit plan that you sign off on a yearly basis usually where it'll say these sites are due for audits this year. Are they for cause audits? For cause audits might be where you've had an issue with a site and so you routinely are going back to check on them or it could come up sporadically as an issue arises. And then you have your general routine audits where you check on the sites, make sure that you know what's going on. Has anything changed since the last time? Or is it a new supplier? For new suppliers, you want to get out, get into the plant to really get a feel of what's going on at that site. Is it adequate for your work? Can they meet the requirements you have? Can, Can they produce what you need? And can they do it in a compliant manner? So, when you go out and audit, you're looking at all of these items as part of your audit.
2: Okay, as a follow on question, top three skills that a quality auditor has to possess in your mind?
0: They need to use their eyes (laughs) and really look while they're going around. A lot of us see things, you know, you see it through an auditor's eyes. Auditor's eyes, an auditor, just like SKA, they go, why does an auditor always find these things? Because it's something that you have that. Gut feeling you know you have the experience the knowledge of what needs to be in place you know what what the site should have and it just it, they just jump up at you some of the issues that you find so I want to say like auditor eyes it, it's a hard thing to evaluate sometimes but you can knowledge of your GMPs or whatever regulations you're auditing against ICHQ7 Um, If you're doing a GCP audit, knowledge of GCPs. And then the person needs to be able to communicate properly. So build a rapport with the auditee. When you build that rapport, auditees tend to tell you more than just your basic question, just like FDA does. They try to build that, that rapport so that people will continue to talk and not just answer the question.
2: Okay, good, good. So we started off, you know, we talked about maybe some of the inspections that, that typically happen, halted um, audits, you know, on-site audits and, and different elements have been sort of suspended with travel restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get too far down that path, can you tell us about some, any trends, major trends in quality auditing that you saw before the uh, shutdown?
0: Well, just that everybody has been moving on to risk-based auditing versus scheduling routinely every year or two, because it's become complicated to get out to all of the sites you need to. Sometimes you have limited resources. And sometimes the other thing that you'll see is that companies are going out and looking for help with auditing. So they're going to consulting companies or firms to get that help, that extra person to go out and do an audit for them. And a lot of times that's beneficial because the QA person working with a supplier has their daily work they do with the supplier. They begin to lose objectivity when they go into a site because they know certain things and can't look at it from a fresh eye. So sometimes having a fresh eye, someone separate from the company, helps a company get a better audit.
1: Okay. So I've got a question Ed, if you don't mind. So being on the supplier side of this, my whole career, I have a special place in my hearts for audits. So that being said, when you come in as an outside auditor, I mean, you're just that you're an outside auditor. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it's not. How do you ensure a successful audit? If you're coming into a place where no one knows you, they know why you're there. How do you, how do you establish that relationship early on? It's not easy.
0: No, it's not. And actually, um, one of the things that I was just going to say before you asked me that question is the other thing that in order needs to be is prepared. So they need to know the site they're going into, maybe look up some of the people, try to see who's there. Is there any connection? What has the FDA found? And try to look at it from, is there any connection I can make? So a lot of times, you'll find, oh, I know someone there. And you can hit off by bonding that way. A lot of times, I feel out when I get to a site. So I will feel out everybody at the meeting. I'll feel out the QA person, of course. Being QA, I try to bond with that QA person. So it makes a big difference when you're doing the audit if you can start to bond with someone on the audit team. So it's looking and listening. But one of the things you have to do is really listen carefully to what they're saying. A lot of times you'll get a hint about how they want to move things along, if they're trying to hide anything by what they say in that opening meeting. So it's just it's it's a real feel. It's a real feel. Some auditors are better than others, and it's experience.
1: Yeah. Okay. No, I mean it makes sense. I, I and I know. You know, just in, in our time working together, we're often recommending to clients that more than one discipline is represented on, a, on an audit. How do you determine going into an audit, you know, especially as we're kind of getting into this virtual field where you want to get as much exposure to the issues in the plan as you can and you're limited, how do you determine when it's good to have, let's say, an analyst or a, a drug substance chemist or a, an aseptic processing person?
0: So the first way you can determine that is depending on how many days they will allow you in the plan, how many days for the audit. So if you have to cover manufacturing analytical and all the quality systems in one day, to do a thorough audit. There's no way you could do it with one person. You need to have the other experts. Now, depending on the type of work they're doing. So if analytical is minor, you may be able to get away with anal- without an analytical person. But if you're doing all the method development and all the validation, then you want to have an analytical person there. If the, And if it's a difficult compound that you're working with or, or product. For manufacturing, you're going to choose the expertise of the type of work that is being performed at the CMO. So should it be a um, person with aseptic or... Oral solids, it will depend on what is being produced at that site, and you'll determine what's the best technical representative that should join you. The other thing is, have you had problems at that site before? Where have the problems been? Has it been in manufacturing? Has it been in the lab? Or has it been in QA? Based on that, you'll also say, okay, if if we've had a lot of analytical problems, you definitely want the analytical person. You may not have to have the production person. So so every site is different, and it depends on the site themselves and their past history with you.
2: Okay, so we're in the summer of 2020 or the summer of COVID-19, so things probably have changed. Can you review some of the current audit landscape and some of these obvious challenges that you've seen or you foresee?
0: Right now with COVID, clearly places aren't opened for outside auditors to come in, or they're not, they're putting limited time there. What a lot of companies, and what I'm seeing is they will offer out virtual audits, where you can call in on a web meeting, they will open up their documentation system to you the QA person will be there they'll call in their SMEs as needed and they'll let you go through the normal SOPs documentation manufacturing documentation lab documentation and what you are at what a lot of places are doing is they're setting up packets for information but some companies will also provide a video to me A video is very important to see the site if if I've never seen it before. So for a new site, I want to see what the site's like. I want to see the areas, but for a repeat audit, I may not be able, may not need to see the visual. I may just need to see the updated documentation and the the ongoing work. So it all depends on: is it new? Is it a company that you're looking at to just evaluate, or is it routine audit. And I think that a lot of companies are going to the virtual audit because they don't know where the future is going to be. Some of the companies that accepted on-site audits are now saying, no, we'd rather a virtual audit. We really don't want to be on-site because we're really seeing a lot of problems and we don't want to take a chance. The other issue is going to an audit. If you're from a location like where I live, I'd have to be in quarantine for two weeks before I could go in to do an audit. And then I'd have to be in quarantine for two weeks after. It's not feasible. And there are a lot of states like that where we have personnel that need to go on audits and they can't. So the virtual audit for the COVID time period is the best way to meet your compliance requirements. And I heard that FDA is also looking at virtual audits of some type to do inspections or virtual inspections. They've also recommended in guidelines for GCPs that in order for some of the clinics to be monitored, they're discussing visual a Zoom meeting or something like that to evaluate looking at documentation.
2: Okay, you mentioned certain things like the visual videos and those things and I think I have a couple of questions around that. But one of the things, and you may have answered some of it previously, how do you prepare for a virtual audit? You know, the traditional audits are suspended. Probably the pandemic's here for a while. You know, virtual audits might be here to stay. Maybe that's where we were going anyway. You know, those things that are mission critical uh, to the piece of drug development, you know, generally, how would you prepare for a virtual audit?
0: So again, depending on the type of audit it will depend on my ver- how I prepare for it. I request certain items from every company, whether it's a virtual audit or an on-site audit, I'll ask for general documentation. I will look at some of that before I even go to the audit so that I know what to expect. Sometimes they'll send you some of the key SOPs ahead of time and they won't wait to share it just on their server. One of the bigger companies and some companies don't wanna share their documentation with you by email because they feel that that shares trade documents that they don't want to share because they figure you'll take their work and use it. But other ways of preparing, like I said, is checking the FDA website, looking at what their last inspection was like if they have not sent you their EIR. A lot of times I ask for their last EIR so that I can get an idea of what's at the site. And also when I look at the EIR, I have ideas of where their weaknesses are, and where their strengths are. And that's where I can also pinpoint my audit. So if FDA has found things, I will go and look at those areas to see what they've done. And the other area I look at is what the current trends are. So where FDA is seeing a lot of observations. So, you know, with data integrity, other deviations, which is always the two major items that they have in almost every inspection. There are certain key areas that you look at every time, but preparing is important. And knowing what's being made at the site and what services you're receiving, because you want to make sure you're covering all of that.
2: Okay. And then you mentioned, um, you know, states and localities are opening at different stages. Things change again, like weekly in, in some cases as well. So and geographically as well. And you mentioned the quarantine portion. Can you talk about some of the risks um, associated with not preparing or not actually having an audit?
0: Well, the, the big thing is, besides for not having control over your site, it's a requirement, a compliance requirement. And since we've already been over four months into this and have no idea when the end is in sight, is it a year from now? Is it a year and a half? In a year and a half, a lot can go on with the supplier, and you need to know what's going on. You need to know that you have have control over your supplier, that you know what's with your supplier, that you know that they're meeting the requirements and there aren't things falling through the cracks because COVID affects the suppliers as well. They don't have enough staff. They may not have enough qualified staff and things start to fall through. I have seen it in several companies where the incidence of deviations and planned deviations and mistakes occur because they're limited with staff. So it's even more important.
2: Okay. Can you see any differences between like a well-established facility that may have been audited and inspected versus say a new facility, which is more high risk for the FDA?
0: I think that any site can have a problem. I think large sites as well as small, you still have to keep on top of them and you have to know what's going on. Large companies can have problems just as easily, if not more because it becomes more rampant. If one person is sick and they're open for work because pharmaceutical companies are considered essential. If one person gets sick, they can get the whole staff sick. You could have a critical problem at a large company where a whole pocket of of an area or a department is out and the work isn't getting done or it's not getting done properly. People don't know, you don't have lack of knowledge. So a small company, they could have the same problem it's both,
2: both large and small. I don't think there's a difference. I think okay. it has to apply to both. All right. I'm not a quality assurance person, so I, I asked a good many of my questions. I still have some
1: more, but I think Brian and Miranda may have a few additional ones here to maybe That's take it in a different direction. <laughs> I've got one, Miranda, just real quick. So we talk about the virtual model, and, and I know internally at DSI, we've, we've got a, a procedure in place to handle that. How important is the expectations of a virtual audit how important is flexibility? You may have going into this, your expectations for what you will be provided. And then the supplier who may still be making that transition and understanding of of virtual audits may not necessarily meet that. How do you, how important is that flexibility?
0: It's very important. You need to be able to roll with what they throw. So to roll with the punches and try to ask the question in another way so that you can possibly get that information. It's all about how you present your question and you can ask a question several ways and get different responses and different information based on how you present it. So if you ask for something and they give you just a basic answer or they don't give you the documents and you say well, we're working with this this product and we see something happening, and uh, this is just throwing out in the air. We really need to understand how you would handle it. So, could you please explain it to me? And if you have a procedure, go through it with me. So, just a yeah. little but it's just in the way you present it. <laughs> Yeah, just turning it around, being flexible and, and not getting frustrated. One of the biggest things is you can't get up, you can't show them that you're upset. You need to just go with the flow and just think in your head, How else can I do this? Because once you start to get your hair up on your back, they may shut down, and that's what you have to watch. So, it's always important to roll with the punches, keep going, and think in your head, all right, so let me think of another way to get this information. Yeah, which uh-huh. is
1: why I'm not in quality, I'm in production. So okay, got it.
0: <laughs> well, there's some quality people that don't always do that, but <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but it is a good way to work, yeah.
2: Okay, uh, I just had a question around the virtual audits. Uh, how accepting are the sites so far? Has there been a lot of communication saying, oh, look, we're not we're not ready for it. Or if they don't have an SOP in place,
1: is it best to, you know, offer up our guidance on how to proceed with that?
2: I assume more um, the smaller companies might be more accepting than the largers.
0: Uh, do you have any insight to that? No, I see both large and small accepting the virtual audits. I've seen both. I think that it actually is probably easier for a larger company to do a virtual audit than for a smaller one, because with audits, as we all know, you're in a small company. You're engaging a big majority of the site. Whereas in a larger company, they have certain people, uh, and they have people that handle the audits all the time. So for them, it's easier. It's routine. They have a process in place. Smaller companies, as they grow, or they may have had many audits. If they do, then they can adjust to it. So. You know, sometimes it may be new to them, and you just walk them through it. You say, this is what our expectations are for the virtual audit. And if they have, them asked you any questions, you'll work with them to make it easier and to make it work with their schedule. So, again, you say, how do you get the site that you're auditing to work with you? And it's showing them that you're willing to work with them. So I know sometimes
2: audits to put on the schedule are a lot longer in person because they have to arrange all of everybody being there and making sure your time slots are there. They have the appropriate people on their side. Do you think it'll be a quicker process now that it's virtual, that you don't have
1: the turnaround you time? Still will well? have,
0: you still will have those same people that have to be at the virtual audit, yeah. even though it's not on site. Could it be a little easier possibly because you can work around the schedule maybe a little better um, and they don't have to be there at a specific time. They can maybe come later on. So that might be the only thing, maybe a little more flexibility.
2: That sounds like an advantage though, right? You would have you know, virtual audits. You can have SMEs from multiple sites or wherever, right? Participating online, real time during a tour, those type of things versus maybe five, 10 years ago when that was not possible?
0: Well, there's a lot of benefits to having virtual audits. From the other side, from someone who pr- we're providing a virtual audit to, there's a cost savings on, on airfare and hotel and, and travel time, that we're doing it just from our home for the key audit time, and that you're not paying for multiple people to travel. You're, everybody is just joining Zoom, and you're paying for the time that's provided for the audit and for write-up. So there's economic positives to this as well that you can look at and say, well, hey, you know, maybe this isn't a bad idea, but I don't think you can ever get rid of on-site audits permanently. I think that virtual audits may be something that will stay and people will use them in the interim, but you need to go see site every so often because things change. And you want to make sure you know what's going on at that site, or if it's a new site, you need to see it. But definitely virtual audits, I think, are here to stay. So So we talked
2: about traditional on-site, and now we've kind of touched a little bit on virtual audits and sort of how they're evolving, and they may be part of the future, especially for companies with budget and um, resource constraints. We talked about a few of the things, the benefits, the advantages, and some of the disadvantages. Are there audit alternatives other than those two?
0: A paper audit is never as effective as a virtual or on-site audit. A paper audit, a lot of times, can be used in conjunction with the on-site or virtual audit. It will help you prepare for a virtual audit by having them fill that out. The same thing for an on-site audit. I like to have, especially a new site or a repeat site that you haven't been on-site in a while, having them fill out what is currently their practices. But with paper audits, the only companies that I see paper audits being used um, routinely is for like an excipient or a packaging component that's not a primary packaging component, like corrugate or, um, you know, sugar or something like that. You know, and it depends on, is it a critical excipient or, or a critical material? but. I think on-site and virtual are really not going to go away. Those are going to be the primary way to do
2: an audit. So what we learned today from Bettina, virtual audits during a pandemic can really help ensure continuous supply of much-needed drugs, not just in the U.S., but around the world. One of the advantages is to have SMEs from multiple sites They can participate in this audit, um, answering questions, getting to know the, the CMOs. One disadvantage, obviously, you pointed out, patina the inability to read body language and get underneath the um, the cover sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to get a great read on the status of an audit you know, when you're not there. So we'll work on this. That said, thanks again for joining us on CMC Live. We hope to have you back to talk about more QA issues in the future. So the, the real question, are you really a Mets fan or did Bob just say that you're a Mets fan?
0: Bob said that. I'm a Yankees fan. Yankees and Giants all the way. Well... I
2: could have called that one. Yeah. Well, I have a question. What do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts on the Mets this year, 2020? The summer, if if we even get through the season. <laughs> Any thoughts on that one? No thoughts. Are we, we going to go Yankees or Mets? If you had one choice, one one pick for uh, the World Series this year.
0: I want the Yankees all the time. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Although I will tell you that when I was pregnant, I walked around with a Minnesota Twins shirt because I have twins. Well, that's cool. <laughs> that's a good one.
2: Well, we we did go to a Met spring training games.
0: So. We did, and you know what, Ed? I enjoyed it.
2: Yeah, considering
0: I did too. there's no baseball.
2: Yeah, that was <laughs> about the second to the last spring training game before everything got shut down, and we all became self quarantined and got locked down. So, kind of. Yeah, now
0: COVID is terrible down here. Well, so. you know
2: what? I went to spring training this year. Went to about six games, and that was one of the ones where you can start to feel the what was going on in the world literally because i do some investing i just follow some news on the trends and travel and the industry and i heard about this corona something i literally thought it was the corona brew right (laughs) and um the the last two days of the trip i think it was like the last flights march 10th remember because it was my son's birthday and by the time i got home i was like all right no more restaurants and we thought it was going to last you know two three weeks and the rest is history but you know as we touched on some of these things breed you know future evolution of of our industry and you know, we we all know about zoom calls now we we wouldn't be doing this obviously if we didn't you know kind of get pushed forward pretty quickly and um you know i think in in at the end of the day it's there's a lot of benefits and positives i think a lot of small biotechs could can be served by this virtual audit not a lot of them have the money and the resources to spend but if if this creates just another little bridge you know, to keep, keep them compliant and keep issues um, from preventing any delays or any, any issues that could crop up, you know, it's, it's probably certainly um, a good thing. So, so once again, Bettina Kaplan, thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you soon.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit dsinformatics.com forward podcast. There you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash Live. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.